our second week in 1 Peter, and we have before us a very short but rich passage for our communion meditation. As we begin, we want to remember that these are the last two verses of Peter's opening remarks that we talked about last week. And last week we talked about how the beginning of this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, is about calling the church to focus. Peter wants the church to focus on their hope in Christ, even as they are suffering, especially as they are suffering. And Peter is also reminding the church that they belong to Jesus. Now, the overarching a theme of this opening is salvation, which Peter moves to talk about now directly. We are in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace intended for you made careful search and inquiry. Inquiring about the time and the circumstances that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings intended for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Amen. It is curious to me how in talking about salvation, Peter leads with the prophets. We know prophets in the Hebrew scriptures were those who spoke a message that God had for the people. They spoke on behalf of Yahweh, usually to beckon, sometimes to drag the people back to obedience. Their role was to call out idolatry and injustice and pagan rituals and those who were just going through the motions of the faith. They were particularly forceful with leaders and with kings. They predicted the consequences that were on the horizon and what was to come for the nation the messages might be long sermons or just abrupt communications. We remember how Nathan brought a word to David after the king stole Bathsheba and killed her husband. How God gave dreams to Joseph for Pharaoh for the famine. Ezekiel saw wheels that had eyes. Sometimes the prophet was called to live out the metaphor, like when Hosea married Gomer, whose unfaithfulness was a mirror to Israel's own behavior. And how Isaiah preached nearly three years in the nude to show how the Egyptians would be shamed by the Assyrians. And we think about so many prophets, Samuel and Miriam and Zechariah and Moses and Deborah, Elijah and Isaiah and Jonah and Huldah and Malachi. <clears throat> Those are just a few. The prophets had the unenviable job of keeping people accountable to the Lord. When you read the prophets, do you ever think, man, what if this were me? A hard job. Jeremiah's job was so bad, so not easy and so unwelcome that he was called the weeping prophet. And when we think about the prophets in the Old Testament, we think honest, confrontational, harsh, 
doom. But here is Peter saying that the prophet spoke of grace. Because sometimes that's what they did. Sometimes they foretold the deliverance that would come through the mercy of God. Peter says that telling was God's grace intended for the readers of this letter. Grace intended for the church. And when we hear these words, they might take us by surprise because we don't often think about the prophets as offering grace. Peter is, of course, referring to how Jesus was foretold. But all week long, I've been thinking about grace in the Old Testament. Because isn't that really what the prophets were offering in all that they said and did? A form of grace. Isn't it grace to be told the truth? Isn't it grace to help people know who God is and what he expects? Isn't that showing the kindness of God? God isn't hiding. God isn't trying to trick us or not tell us what he expects. We understand salvation is Christ's unconditional love offered to us as the fullness of grace. Yet before the cross, let's remember that people were brought to God through obedience to the law and the commandments by choosing to have loving hearts and fearing the Lord by treating those around them with respect and being a witness of Christ's light by listening to the truth that the prophets told and following it. But look what else Peter says. The prophets made a careful search and inquiry to the spirit, the presence of God inside of them about when the anointed one would arrive, when the Messiah would come and bring deliverance. Like Isaiah talked about the suffering servant, like Malachi talked about the great and dreadful day of the Lord, like Daniel talked about the son of man coming with authority and glory and sovereign power and a kingdom that will never end and never be destroyed. And this makes us think about the prophets themselves and how they themselves must have longed for the day of the Lord. They earnestly sought to know when the Messiah was going to come because he was going to be their deliverer too. They heard plenty of what God had to say to their generation, but they themselves were being led by the triune God and wanted to listen for the possibility that Christ would come in their lifetime too. They trusted in the Lord's goodness. They wanted to see the new day promise, just like we long for Christ to come again and wait and watch for the signs and pray and ask discernment and speak truth to who is, what is going on and who we are today. Isaiah talked about the servant that would suffer, and we know that it is the suffering of the Lord that brings us ultimate grace. There would be glory for Jesus, but before that, there would be the pain of the cross, the pain that would make grace possible and available to all of us. But look what else Peter says here. It was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but that they were serving you. He's telling the church of the day how much the prophets matter. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus 
spells out why the Savior came, starting with the prophets. And the sermons we read in the early church, they always start with the prophets because the prophets matter. They aren't just relics from the past from which we get weird stories of people who toiled with no thanks. The Spirit of God told them that they were ministering his word, that they were holding things together until the Savior came to change the entire world with a new iteration of God's grace for everyone. There is no history or true understanding of God's people without the prophets. They were faithful for those who needed to hear God's truth in their lifetime. They were diligent for us who would come later, for a church who needed an anchor to hold on to when the world spins out of control and tries to say that this is a made-up religion from 2,000 years ago. The church has deep roots cultivated and kept alive by the Spirit of God who, whose will is always to be connected to those he loves. And let's not forget that Peter is also telling us that the prophets themselves had to live out all that they preached and exhorted everyone else to do and how that was sometimes a struggle. Like Jonah, who didn't want the people of Nineveh to have grace. But their role was to serve others. And along with their audience, we read how they must have been excited and confused and angry and intrigued and deflated by the messages that God had to give. It must have fueled their hopes as they longed to see a new day of the Lord lived out in their time. So Peter is reminding the church that the salvation they had, the salvation that we have, is one that the, prom, that, the prophet, that the prophets earnestly hoped to see, that the prophets spoke with, with amazement, but that they never lived to experience on earth. Their struggles tell us that the church age is unlike any other because of what Jesus did. And they would probably say, we have no idea, no idea what it was like to live in a world without the Messiah. That the life we have in Christ is a gift that should never be taken for granted and never squandered. Peter says even the angels want to get a good look of what it means to trust in Jesus and to have this kind of grace. The angels, of course, talked about here are not meant so we can guess at who they are, but to focus on the amazing gift of salvation that neither the prophets nor the angels get to experience. Only we in the church age. Listen to this powerful quote from Dr. Edmund Clowney that will be up on the screen for you. The Spirit of God illumined Peter fisherman that he was, to preach what others had missed, the Old Testament witness to Christ's resurrection. Now his understanding sweeps back to the prophecies that the Spirit interpreted for him. They were prophecies given by the same Spirit, the Spirit of the Son of God. Peter opens our eyes to see Christ in the Old Testament, not only as the promised Messiah, but as the Lord. The Spirit that was fire in the bones of the prophets was the spirit of Christ driving forward to the salvation he must bring. As written in the book of Amos, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, but can, who, who can but prophesy? 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, was, who opens the seas of the book of God's decrees, is the lion who thunders in the voice of the prophets. He ends by saying, both testaments bear witness to Christ. Both testaments are the witness of Christ. So for communion today, there are two ideas that I want you to consider as you come forward. First, this scripture speaks to what a gift it is to live in the age of grace. We approach the table seeking the unmerited favor of the Lord that we don't deserve in our lives. Jesus has sacrificed his life for our freedom. So we come and we ask, Lord, please forgive me. How can the spirit meet you today? Where do you need forgiveness? The act of communion we participate in is a remembrance, but it is also a moment to connect with God through grace in an incredible way. The prophets were so clear in the truth that they spoke because God is holy and wants his people to live in harmony with him. Disobedience is heartbreaking to the Lord because it hurts us, because it hurts others because it tears our souls apart and our relationships and our intentions and our futures. So as we come forward, let us thank God for the grace intended for us from long ago, a grace that frees us from what binds us, a grace that allows us to know the peace of God. As the spirit of the Lord cleanses us and shows us true forgiveness, may we know his power and new life in our shame. May this be a moment where grace is made very real to you and me. Secondly, the prophets urged God's people to come back to the Lord. And they used whatever means necessary so Israel would hear God's voice, so that they would know God's will and experience a bit of God's grace. And the prophets spoke not just for their day, but for our day and for a day that we have not even seen yet. The day of final culmination is still on the horizon. The day of restoration and peace that Jesus, our King, will usher in. And before that glory, there's going to be more suffering. Just as Jesus needed to suffer on the cross before he was raised to new life, the way of those who follow him is the way of suffering. So if you are needing strength for the personal challenges or the painful distractions or temptations that are found in our generation. If you need more grace as you live in these broken times, may you find it in the act of communion. There's power in the blood of Jesus for forgiveness, for healing, for sustaining power, and for receiving the truth. So may the grace of God meet us in incredible ways today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.